Good morning, Cross Connection Church. I genuinely hope that you are having a great start to this holiday season. As you can see behind me here in our sanctuary, we definitely have the Christmas spirit here at Cross Connection Church. And as I shared with you guys last week and have shared many times before here at our church, for me, this truly is the most wonderful time of the year. Now, listen, before we get into the scriptures today, I want to let you know that at the end of our time together, at the end of our message, we are going to partake of communion. If you were here with us on the Sunday morning that this is broadcasting on YouTube, then we would be partaking of communion here together at Cross Connection Church. This is something that we do as a church every seventh Sunday. So being that you are not here with us in our sanctuary, ready to partake of communion, you can partake anytime that you would like to do that. So if you happen to have some bread or a cracker and some juice, then you might want to go and grab that right now because like I said, at the end of the service, we're going to partake together. Or if you don't have that, then you can do this another time, replay this another time during the week. But I hope that you will take some time to partake of communion. We'll talk more about that when we get to the end of the message. Now, if you have ever been to a wedding before, then it is a good possibility that you have heard the words from the Apostle Paul in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where we read these words at the beginning of the chapter. Paul says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become like a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not loved, it profits me nothing. This is the beginning of what is commonly referred to as the love chapter in the Bible. And today we are going to be talking a little bit about love as we are in an Advent series here at our church approaching Christmas just a couple weeks away. This Advent season, we are talking about the gifts of God. And as I shared with you last week, I don't think there's a single person that does not love receiving and then even giving gifts. For most children, I know my kids as well, the gifts are, generally speaking, the best part of the Christmas season. It is what most kids look forward to the most as they are approaching Christmas. Uh, you know, of course, they're looking forward to not going to school and all the other things that go along with it. But if you ask any kid, then they're pretty much going to tell you that their favorite part about Christmas is opening the Christmas presents. But one of the amazing things that you probably have experienced, especially if you have children, is that as you get older, as you become an adult, you typically discover that Jesus's words are true, where he says it is more blessed to give than to receive. The reason I think that we love to give gifts is because God, the one who made you, the creator who made you in his image, he is the gift-giving God. God loves to give gifts. So in this Advent series here at Cross Connection Church, we are talking about some of the gifts that God has given to us. Those good gifts from our good God have been given to us for our enjoyment, and they have been given to us not only for our enjoyment, but as we are enjoying those good gifts that our good God has given to us, 
those that enjoyment, enjoyment and joy abounds to the praise and glory of God. You enjoying the gift that God gave you, gave you brings him glory. And on top of that, it is by those very same gifts that God has given to us for us to enjoy and for us to praise and bring glory to him as we enjoy those gifts that we are able to be a blessing to others. God has blessed you and he has blessed me with innumerable gifts to be a blessing to others and to bring him glory and praise and to enjoy those things that he has given to us. So each of us have gifts that God has given to us. Some of those gifts are general gifts, gifts that all of us are partakers of. And some of them are a bit more specific to each one of us as each one has received a gift. God has given to each one of us certain gifts and talents and abilities. And he wants us to use those things, the general ones and the specific ones. So God has graciously given them to us, these gifts, that we would enjoy them, that we would use them to the praise of the glory of his grace, and that we would steward them in such a way that they would be a blessing to others. God has blessed me and blessed you to be a blessing. I just want to keep driving home that important truth. And as we come to the scriptures today, I want to talk about that gift that God has given to all of us. That is one of the greatest gifts of all. And it is spoken about in that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that I began with. God has gifted to us in abundance his love. So let me, let me say it like this to kind of encapsulate what it is that I want to put forward today in this Advent message and our second message for this Advent series. To say it plainly, I would say it like this. Love is a good gift from God, demonstrated and given to us for our joy, and for our enjoyment, and for the praise of the glory of God's grace, and for the blessing of others. But before we really get to that point, I want to back up a little bit. We live in a culture that is rather scientifically, reductionistically focused on just natural sort of causes for virtually everything. We like to break everything down to its kind of basic constituent parts and explain everything we possibly can naturalistically or scientifically. So when it comes to love, we have a tendency of reducing this whole thing called love down to just the biomechanics of it, the biochemical mechanics of it. I'm sure you've probably heard that song from the early 90s that asked the question, what is love? And science tries to explain what love is. But I would suggest to you that the, the answer that science gives as to the question, what is love, is it leaves something to be desired. According to science, love can be broken down into three basic categories. And each of these categories is characterized by its own hormones. So the first category, when scientists are just looking at love, is what we would just generally call lust. And it is characterized by uh, testosterone in males and estrogen in females. And then you move from lust or that kind of like, you know, romantic attraction sort of love to attraction, which is characterized by the hormones. We can see this hormonally in an individual through dopamine and serotonin. And then it moves from attraction, from lust to attraction to attachment. And attachment is characterized by the hormone oxytocin, uh, uh, vasopressin sort of things. And in our naturalistically reductionistic society. When asked the question of that great song from the 1990s, what is love? 
We answer that it's just a biochemical interaction within our bodies and our brain's response to those biochemicals, the reaction taking place, the presence of these various chemicals in our system, and that's it. And that again is like really not a very good answer for the question, what is love? Frankly, the scientific explanation leaves something to be desired. We all know that this is not a sufficient explanation about what love really is. But here's the problem. Love is not something that is easily defined or explained. Science has a very difficult time explaining things like love, you know, this, this thing that we all experience. Trying to define or explain love in our culture, to define it exactly, it's similar to, maybe you heard this many, many years ago, back in the 1960s, there was a Supreme Court justice and there was a, a Supreme Court case that had to deal with lewdness and pornography in the culture. And one of the Supreme Court justices, Potter Stewart, when asked about pornography, what exactly is it? He famously wrote that that sort of obscenity, it's difficult to perfectly gauge or define, but I know it when I see it. So that's kind of the same with love as well. It's like we don't really know exactly how to explain or define it, but we know it when we see it. We may not be able to perfectly describe or explain what love is, but we know it when we experience. We know it when we see it. The Bible, somewhat like science, basically speaks about love in three categories as well. Science talks about lust, and it talks about attraction, and it talks about that kind of affection that takes place in love. The Bible talks about love in three categories as well. It talks about lust, and it uses the Greek words epithymia or eros, and eros is where we get our idea of erotic or romantic love. And that eros is a, a longing, a desire for someone. And so from lust, we move to affection. Affection uses the Greek words in the Bible, phileo and storge. Phileo is brotherly kindness or brotherly love, and storge is the affection that you feel within a family, for family members. And then the third kind of love is moving from lust to attraction to devotion. And that is the Greek word agape. The Greek word agape, it is defined as love, but it also sometimes is defined as charity, and it is a sacrificial devotion sort of love. It is likely that you are not a Greek scholar, and neither am I, but I think it's helpful that the Greek language, which is the language of the New Testament of the Bible, has multiple words for love. English is honestly a little bit deficient in this area as it relates to the idea of love, because we will say things like, I love my dog, and I love Chick-fil-A, and then we will say, I love my wife, and I love my children. We all know, somewhat intuitively, that we mean different things when we say that we love tacos or we love Chick-fil-A and we love our children and we love our spouse. Or at least I hope we mean different things when we say those sort of things, but it isn't entirely clear. We assume, and you would hope, that my love for my wife and for my children is different and greater or better than my love for my dog or Chick-fil-A, but you can't tell just from the language because the English language is rather deficient in this area. Now, if you're interested in more of a discussion on these different kinds of love within the Greek language, C.S. Lewis, the author of the great children's novels, The Chronicles of Narnia, many years ago he wrote a great book on this exact subject called The Four Loves. I highly recommend that you would read it. And in it he writes about these different kinds of love in the Greek language. He writes about eros, and he writes about phileo, and storge, and then agape. And he says, without eros, without that romantic love, that deep desire, eros, 
none of us would have been begotten or conceived. But without affection, that deeper love, phileo and sorge, within a family, none of us would have been raised or reared. And I would add to Lewis, although it's probably not the smartest thing to try to add to C.S. Lewis, but I'm going to do it anyway. I would say without agape, without that deep sacrificial devotion sort of love, all of us would be damned. I think we all recognize that it is true to say that the gift of love is essential for life. This is true from the initial act of creation. When God created all things, he created because of love. And it is also true for every true act of procreation that follows after what God has made. God created as an act and an expression of his love. And we procreate as an act and an expression of our love. In fact, we call it making love when children are brought forth, that the true fruit of making love is having children. It is an act of love. So it is clearly true that the gift of love is essential for life. There is no life without love. And it is just as valid to say that there is no life without God, but both statements are true because God is love, as the Apostle John, he observes in the New Testament letter, 1 John chapter 4. I think that it is important to call to mind that Christmas is an annual reminder, just as is Easter after this, of God's great love. The celebration of Christmas is the celebration of the incarnation of God, God coming into this world. That God came into the world 2,000 years ago as a little baby child born in Bethlehem. He did so because of love. Why did Jesus come into the world? Well, the most famous verse of the Bible, the most translated verse of the Bible is John chapter 3, verse 16 where John writes, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Another verse very similar to it is found later on in another of John's writings in 1 John chapter 4. He says, In this the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. As I've mentioned several times, that cheesy song from the 90s asked the question, what is love? And our culture and science may not be able to perfectly describe or explain what love is. We may know it when we see it, but it is most clearly pictured and demonstrated in Christmas and Easter that comes after it, in the coming of Christ and in the crucifixion of Christ. It is a very clear and beautiful truth that the gift of love shines in the incarnation. And Christmas is all about the incarnation, the coming of the incarnate Son of God, the love of God into this world. Now, typically, when we think of God's love demonstrated, we tend to think about the death of Christ on the cross, which we're going to talk more about in a little bit because we're going to partake of communion. And it certainly is true that Jesus' death on the cross demonstrates God's love, just as Paul expresses in the New Testament book of Romans. But there is no cross. There's no cross on Good Friday on Calvary and no resurrection on Easter without the incarnation at Christmas. God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But that love started when Jesus came into this world. So another cheesy song, what's love got to do with it? When it as it relates to Christmas, as it relates to Easter, everything. 
that Jesus made himself of no reputation and he took on the form of a servant and he came in the likeness of men and that he humbled himself, which is what we read in the New Testament book of Philippians chapter two, all of that is an expression of God's love for us. There are so many Christians who have a hard time with the Christmas season because of the commercialization and kind of the distraction of all the things that hang on to Christmas. And I understand that discouragement or that concern that Christians have. Maybe you share this with me as well and with my wife. We both love the animated classic Charlie Brown Christmas. What was Charlie Brown's problem with Christmas? Again, it was the distraction of the commercialization of the holiday. It frustrated him. And it is a lot worse today than it was when the Charlie Brown Christmas movie aired all the way back in the early 1960s. But at the climax of a Charlie Brown Christmas, Charlie Brown, he cries out and says, does anyone know what Christmas is all about? And there are a lot of things that have been added on to Christmas in our culture, a lot of attachments, if you will. And they can be a distraction and take away from the real true point and focus of this holiday. But amidst all of the joy and celebration of this holiday, we need to do our best to remind people that this holiday is all about the love of God, expressed in the gift of Jesus Christ coming to the world at Christmas. The gift of love is the gift that is Christ Jesus. He is, as we say, the reason for the season. I know it's cliche to say that Jesus is the reason for the season, but I don't mind if it is cliche because that just means that that's stuck within our cultural consciousness, or at least I hope that it is. I hope that it never goes away. Although, unfortunately, I think that it's a good possibility that people are failing to recognize and remember that that is true. So we need to be those that remind people as often as we can of the truth that Jesus is the reason for this season. And this season, Christmas, it points to Christ, but it points to the love of God because Jesus is the love of God coming into this world. So back to where I began a few minutes ago when we started this message. Love is a good gift from our good God, demonstrated and given to us for our joy, for our enjoyment, and for the praise and glory of God and His grace, and for the blessing of others. Jesus is God's gift of love, given for our joy, and that we would enjoy that gift given to us, and that we would rejoice in that. That's why when we come into the holiday season, we sing joy to the world. The Lord has come, let earth receive her King. His coming to this world is the advent of love and the advent of joy. And that's what we see in one of the classic Christmas passages of the Bible, all the way back in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. I love this passage every single time of year. We read it here at Christmas time many times, but in Isaiah chapter nine, beginning at verse one, we read these words. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan and Galilee of the Gentiles. The prophet here in this passage in Isaiah chapter nine, he is writing to the children of Israel before they are gonna go through a distressing and dark time in their history where they're gonna experience oppression from their enemies. And he says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Those who were in the midst of darkness, he says, a great light is gonna come and shine upon you. Where? 
in the region of Galilee, where Jesus is going to come many hundreds of years after Isaiah is prophesying this. He goes on in verse three, you have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and the garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fire for fuel. So the prophet says, you're going to experience, even though you've gone through a dark and distressing and gloomy time in your history, you're going to experience a great joy that is going to come upon you because this great light is going to shine into the darkness. And it's going to be joy like when you bring in the harvest or joy like when you win a great victory. And all of this leads up to this in verse 6 of Isaiah chapter 9. For unto us a child is born. Where is this joy going to come from that brings light to those who are in darkness that is like winning a great victory in battle or like bringing in a huge harvest after a lot of work? For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. What is the prophet Isaiah talking about here in this passage? He says, listen, Israel is going to go through a dark and difficult time in their history. Their enemies are going to come and oppress them. They are going to be in a land that is filled with a thick darkness, but then a glorious light is going to come and shine upon those who were in darkness. And this light is going to bring joy, like the joy of a great harvest, like the joy of victory and battle. And then he explains, where is the source of this light and this joy? And he says, the source of this light and this joy is a child that is born, a son that is given, a ruler, a king that is going to come and have an everlasting rule and an everlasting reign. Jesus is the light that shines to those who are in darkness. Those that are under this great burden of oppression from their enemies. Jesus brings light to those who are in darkness. He brings joy and rejoicing. A joy and rejoicing that is greater than any harvest you could ever bring in, any bonus check you could ever bring in, any victory you could ever have in any sort of battle or in any sort of anything. Jesus is the one who brings this great joy. The gift of love in Christ brings great joy. And that's what Christmas is all about. This is why the message of Jesus is called the gospel, which means good news. His coming means great joy. His coming means the endless reign of a righteous king. He is the one that is called here in this passage, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. He's the one who brings joy and rejoicing forever and ever. He is the one who will rule in righteousness forever and ever. He is the incarnation of love, this gift of love that brings great joy. It's meant to be enjoyed by us and to bring glory to God's grace, praise to his grace, but it also is meant to be shared. It's meant to be shared with other people. So returning back to that passage that I began with in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where Paul writes there, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I become as a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of all prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and though I have faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, if I have not love, it profits me nothing. What is Paul talking about there in that passage? 
basically is saying that we can have and give every possible gift you could imagine, any sort of earthly gift, we could have it or give it. But if we do not have and give this most important gift, the gift of love, then all of those other gifts are basically pointless. So this Christmas, you may have a lot of gifts in your home underneath the Christmas tree or just ready to be given to your kids or your family members. You may give gifts to your kids or to your spouse or to your extended family and friends, but if you have not the love of God in the form of Jesus Christ, the incarnate love of God, if you don't have that or if you don't give that out, if you do have it and you don't give it out to others, then I would venture to say that you are missing the point of this most awesome holiday. The gift of God's love in Christ is meant to be shared with all people. And that's what God was doing when he came to this world 2,000 years ago, which is what we commemorate and celebrate when we partake of communion. God is sharing his love with us. The ultimate culmination of the love of God being demonstrated for us would come decades after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, which we celebrate at Christmas. It would come decades afterwards when he demonstrated his love for us on the cross. His advent is the advent of love. And one of the ways that we remember what he did for us in bringing his love, one of the ways that we're reminded of it, is by doing what Jesus encouraged us, his followers, to do regularly when we partake of communion. Now, I realize that you may not have the elements of communion right there with you right now, but if you're watching this online, you can pause this and go and grab them if they're in your kitchen, or if you don't have them in your house at all, you could play this later on in the week and partake. But communion is an opportunity for us to remember God's love for us. His love for us and sending his son at Christmas to die for us on Good Friday, to rise from the dead on Easter Sunday. All these things ultimately go together, even though right now our focus is Christmas. And so this Christmas, I want you to remember that Jesus is the reason for the season. His advent is the advent of love, which he demonstrated ultimately on the cross. The Apostle Paul speaking to us in what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so what you can do is you can take the bread and you can take the cup. And you can remember his body that ultimately at Easter was broken for you, for our salvation. His blood was poured out for us, for our forgiveness of our sins. But none of that could have happened had he not come there at Christmas. The demonstration of love at Easter started with the incarnation of love at Christmas. Him coming into the world is the gift of love that brings life, eternal life. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the life that we receive from you because of your love. Because you loved us so much, you've given us life and you desire that we would experience life forever and ever. And Lord, we thank you for revealing that to us and reminding, of us, reminding us of that this season. And I pray, God, that we who already know this, if we are already believers in you and know the scriptures, that we would share that with our family members, friends, brothers, and sisters, 
Lord, that we would share that truth with them as we're giving and receiving gifts this Christmas, that we would give the most important gift. Because though we have all kinds of gifts in this world, if we have not love, we're nothing. And if we do not share this love that we have, then we miss the entire focus of this holiday. So God, help us to be those that are giving and extending your love in the form of your grace to other people. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.